sensations. Good day, everybody. Uh, we are talking about stroke syndromes today. And who are the we? Who are the we? Mm. Uh, I am one of the we. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm Beck. And I'm Scott. We've got a trio podcast for the first time in quite some time. It's very oh, exciting. This is, this is double. Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm double. <laughs> So we're talking about stroke syndromes, uh, which is why I'm so excited. They're mostly based on real cases. So basically, we're going to talk through a scenario, see if you can figure out which stroke syndrome it is, and then we'll go into more detail about explaining that particular stroke syndrome. So we ran through it beforehand, and I was met with heaps of criticism by these (laughs) non-aspiring neurologists that it was all too complicated, and I was was, uh, just trying to sound smart. Um, so they've, they've asked me to warn you that it's, it can be an overwhelming amount of information if you haven't thought about this much before, um, and that before we go through it, uh, we should probably have a look at some basic anatomy um, first, so the circle of Willis in particular. So it's probably, if you're driving, I don't recommend this. If you're at home, it's a good idea to bring up those images that we've, we're going to upload with this podcast. Have a picture of the circle of Willis in front of you, so just for a quick run through, Darbor, it sounds like some of the key bits are whether something is in the anterior or posterior circulation. What does that, what does that mean? Yeah, so when we refer to strokes, that's the basic division that we think about. Is it anterior circulation or is it posterior circulation? So the anterior circulation is what, Scott? So it's everything coming from the carotid arteries. Yeah, so that's the carotid artery and then that turns into the middle cerebral artery and the anterior cerebral artery. And those vessels um, supply the basal ganglia, which is the subcortical area of the brain. And then in terms of the cortical area, it supplies the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, and the temporal lobe. And then you've got the posterior circulation. So what's that, Beck? So that's coming off the vertebral artery, the basilar, the posterior cerebral artery. That's right, yeah. And that supplies uh, the brainstem, so you get lots of really interesting brainstem signs, and then also the occipital lobe, as well as kind of the back bits of the parietal and temporal lobes. So just to simplify it again for the simple people like me, (laughs) you've got three main arteries, two of them coming off the anterior, the MCA and the ACA, and posterior, you're thinking um, you've the posterior cerebral artery coming from the posterior circulation, Um, and obviously it's posterior. Yep. All right, let's done it right down. <laughs> People like me. Posterior at the back. Yeah, at the back. More back than the front, which is, yeah, right. Yeah. So if you've got an analogy, you've got the back half of the room and the front half of the room. Got, I'm just being mm, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so then let's dive into a case. So let's talk about Pam. So Pam is a 50-year-old lady um, who's presented with a fall uh, on a background of an aortic valve replacement, so a metal aortic valve replacement, and she's on warfarin for that. Um, She's very drowsy when she comes into the emergency department and not speaking at all, and everyone kind of thinks that's probably due to the drowsiness. The nurses report that they think she's uh, less... um, She's moving the right side of her body less than the left, but you really can't examine that because she's so drowsy and she's not following instructions. So this came to me while I was in a country emergency department, and I thought this was almost certainly going to be a hemorrhagic stroke. She's had a fall, um, she was on warfarin, and um, now she's kind of really confused. So we did the, the plain CT brain, so without any contrast, without looking at the blood vessels, and it was completely normal. Mm. And so then I was really confused because the, the husband said, 
uh, that, you know, she'd had an episode like this once before and it completely gotten better. And I was like, oh, maybe it's like a migraine or, or functional. It's weird, but it's probably not a stroke. Surely she's on warfarin. Uh, but we called up the what we call the Telestroke service, um, which is a service in country Victoria where you can call up a neurologist and they give you advice. And they made the really good point here that her drowsiness didn't completely explain her aphasia. Like her eyes were opening, but she was literally not saying any words at all. Um, and and um, also the fact that she was moving that right side a little bit less than the left was really worrying mm, as well. So it sounds a bit strokey. Mm. So when you were saying, if we just go back a step, you thought that it was a bleed because she was on warfarin, but you did a CT brain and couldn't see anything. So a plain CT is really good at picking up bleeds. Yeah. Won't completely rule it out, but a bleed big enough to cause all of this, you'd be able to see on a scan. So we're saying now, it's definitely not a bleed. Mm. But you're saying that this drowsiness doesn't explain her aphasia. So now you've got this lady who's come in with a complete inability to speak, total aphasia, and a normal-looking plain CT. So now we're thinking ischemic of some sort. Yeah. And yeah, and just to, I guess, reinforce that, Beck, for um, people who might miss some of the basic stuff. So if it is an acute ischemic stroke, Darbor, can you see that on a non-contrast CT brain? You can, most of the time you can, in fact. So about 60% of the time you can see some uh, signs. So you can actually see the clot. Um, it's called the hyperdense um, artery sign, where the artery so- suddenly gets really um, dense on the plain brain, and that, that is the clot. And you can see a few other things as well. We'll go into that in a, in a future podcast in more okay. detail. But 40% of the time, you yeah. won't be able to see anything. So you can't obviously... I mean, this is probably obvious, but it's worth saying that you can't rule out a stroke. Exactly, exactly. With a CT. The CT yeah. Brain, yeah. Yeah. So then the, the neurologist suggested we do a CT angiogram. So that's putting contrast through the vessels. And you can actually see the contrast go through the vessels. And if there's something blocking that contrast, um, it causes something called a filling defect. And uh, that's how you diagnose an ischemic stroke. Um, so we did, we did that, and it did show a big stroke. What are you guys thinking with that with that um, presentation of drowsiness, complete aphasia, and probably some right-sided weakness? Mm. What does that sound like? So, so taking this from first principles, um, drowsiness. I like to think about cortical and subcortical signs. So, drowsiness sounds a bit more subcortical, and in terms of cortical signs, what you've described as aphasia. She's not really able to produce any speech, so that sounds a bit like Broca's aphasia, but she's not talking at all, so it could be both Broca's and and Wernicke's aphasia. Um, You said that she might have been a little bit more weak on the right side, so this sounds more likely to be a a big left-sided stroke. Yeah, so it's a complete left MCA syndrome. So to take it back a step... Um, we said that as part of the anterior circulation. So you have the internal carotid, which turns into the left MCA. Um, and what is that um, middle... Or cere- the right MCA. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, and, and so what does that um, middle cerebral artery supply, Scott? If, so, we, if we go through what Beck was saying, the subcortex first and then the cortex. Yeah, so um, starting with um, some of the subcortical structures, you've got the basal ganglia. Yeah, so don't worry too much about these names, but that's things like putamen, caudate, nucleus, globus paratus, but basically just subcortical basal ganglia is all you need to know um, as a medical student. And in terms of white matter and grey matter, that's the white matter. Mm. 
and then going in, going further out, so it goes through the subcortex, then it hits the cortex, and now, you, now you've hit the grey matter, the proverbial grey matter. So this is where you do your actual thinking, that's why we call it grey matter. Um, and the lobes it supplies here are really important ones. You've got the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, and then the superior parts of the temporal lobe as well. Yeah, so just think of it as kind of a big chunk. You can kind of Google it on the internet. But um, kind of most of the la- big lateral kind of chunk of the brain, mm. not right, not the bit right at the top, which is um, the anterior coronary artery, and not the bit kind of right at the bottom. Yeah. So if you've got a big clot like this lady did coming off her aortic valve that's stuck right in the proximal part of the MCA, also called the M1 part of the MCA, you will knock all of that out. It's a disaster. It's a huge stroke. Yeah. So something that Dava was talking about was um, if you think about the um, middle cerebral artery, the MCA, there's M1, M2, and M3. And M1 is kind of like zone one. It's kind of like the central part that leads on to the other parts. Mm. And M2 has two divisions. But the worst stroke is kind of the M1 stroke that's kind of... And it has an umbrella of different parts that it affects and it'll kind of cause all the different signs. Mm. And then M2 and M3 will... Um, cause kind of a sub-selection of those signs. Yeah. So if you have an M1 stroke, you're, you're screwing over everyone from East Melbourne, but if it's M2 and M3, it's kind of just Cranbourne and Pakenham. Yeah. It's not such a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's go, let's go through the, the MCA stroke symptoms. So this is a complete MCA stroke. So to begin with, you've got the impairment of alert, alertness. So that's because you've knocked out the basal ganglia. And then you've also got contralateral hemiplegia. So if you've got a left MCA stroke, you've got right-sided weakness. And that's um, because you've knocked out the motor fibers as they travel through the subcortex, but then also once they hit the cortex. You've hit them in both places. And they've usually got really dense hemiplegia, like they can't move their arms or legs at all. And then you've got hemianesthesia, so they can't feel anything on that side as well. So that's for the same reason, because you've hit those sensory fibres as they go through the subcortex and then through the cortex as well. Um, you've got a homonymous hemianopia, so that's a cortical sign. So that's more in the cortex, you've affected um, those visual centres. Um, so homonymous hemianopia means you've lost half of the vision, the same half in both eyes. So they've lost the left, in a left MCA stroke, they've lost the right field of vision on both sides um, and then you've lost gaze deviation and that's because the um, the centers for lateral gaze sit in the frontal lobe so patients will be looking away from the side of the weakness so if towards you... the lesion yeah yeah um, I find it easier to think about all the patients that I've seen that are just looking away from this side of um, weakness it's like I can't be able to look can't, yeah that's, the, that's literally <laughs> how I imagine it it's like that half their body doesn't exist for them which is also part of the neglect syndrome. Um, And then if it's a left MCA stroke, for almost all people, um, that's where their language centres are going to be. And if it's a M1 occlusion syndrome, you've lost all of East Melbourne, that's a global aphasia. So they can't understand and they can't express themselves. And then on the right side, um, you generally don't have your language centres there. So this is a right MCA stroke. Then you would just have neglect, um, where they can't, uh, they, they're just kind of ignoring that half of their body. It's like it doesn't exist. Mm. Something I, don't know, I thought was quite interesting too is that you can't just correlate left and right-handed to your left and right language-dominated parts. Yeah, yeah. So like Dava was saying, even if you are left-handed, yeah. you've still probably got your language centres over there on the left. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 
It's a good point. It's one more thing that was we were lied to about in medical school. <laughs> um, so the other thing I wanted to mention here is that you'd think if you knock out um, the M1 and that's a real disaster, then how bad must it be if you knock out the internal carotid, right? Because then you've just really absolutely lost everything. You've lost the um, anterior cerebral artery as well. That's what you think. Mm. But it actually doesn't work that way. So this is a really important principle of, um, of stroke neurology and neurovascular anatomy is that often that's the case where if you have a blockage early enough, there's enough collaterals around it to make up for it. Most internal carotid occlusions are usually actually asymptomatic. And you see it all the time clinically. Like people will rock up on the ward and they'll have like a 95% occlusion in their left carotid artery and a complete occlusion on their right mm. and just completely asymptomatic. Yeah. Because there's no part of the brain that's completely dependent on the internal carotid. So I think this podcast is so right for metaphors. So the M1 in Melbourne comes off <laughs> Exhibition Street, right? So you'd think that if Exhibition Street was blocked, then the whole of the eastern part of Melbourne would be out. But no, there's so many collateral roads. <laughs> mm. It's the M1. Once you lock, once you lose that, that's the problem. Yeah, so it's that, it's that midpoint that's the worst, where you've still got lots of things dependent on it, but it's too late to have lots of collaterals. They're the worst strokes. Okay, so that's left MCA. Um, tell me about Wanda. So Wanda's a 70-year-old lady who's presented to ED because of sudden onset right upper limb weakness and difficulty talking two hours ago. She's being wheeled through the ED on the way to the scanner, and you note she hasn't dropped her conscious state at all. She's alert, uh, but she has a facial, facial droop, dysarthria, right-sided hemianopia, and her, but her right leg is relatively spared, so it's mostly her right upper limb weakness rather than right lower limb. Um, and you actually have to get most of the history from her husband because Wanda's having a lot of difficulty getting her words out. So you've paid enough attention in medical school to know that this sounds like an anterior circulation syndrome, probably left MCA. But where exactly? It's a long artery. It's, it doesn't sound like the proximal MCA syndrome we just talked about because she hasn't dropped her conscious state and her legs aren't affected. Um, so where could it be? What do you guys think? Well, it sounds like it's a little bit further on, but it's still quite significant. Mm. So... so this is actually an M2 superior division stroke. So to take it back a step um, to anatomy again, so you've got your MCA stroke. So that's traveling along through the subcortex. And then once it hits the cortex in an area called the insula, which is kind of the region between the subcortex and the cortex, it divides into two divisions, the inferior division and the superior division. And both of these divisions are called M2. So mm. to talk about um, the superior division for a second, that supplies mostly the frontal lobe. And the, the syndrome here is a dense sensory motor deficit in the contralateral face and arm, but to a lesser extent the leg. So the leg's not that affected. Mm -hmm. um, they get that gaze deviation as well, because remember we said that was a cortical sign. Um, and they don't get a hemianopia. They actually get a quadrantinopia. So probably Wanda didn't actually have a full hemianopia. You just screened a Pauline ED. She has a quadrantinopia. And it's inferior. So if you think about um, quadrantinopias and homonymous hemianopias, it's always the reverse. So if you've got a left MCA stroke, it's a right-sided hemianopia. And if it's a left upper division stroke, it's going to be a right inferior quadrantinopia. So everything is... Mm. Top to top to bottom and um, left to right reverse. Double flipped. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then superior division again, if it's left sided, 
uh, they get a speech deficit, but it's not a complete aphasia like a MCA stem syndrome. It's just a broker's aphasia. So where's broker's area? So I always think of them as being in alphabetical order. So yeah, broker's area is at the front and vernicus area is at the back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so broker's area is more frontal um, and they have, they have issues with expressive dysphasia. So again, in alphabetical order. So E is at the front, E for expressive, and R for receptive is more at the back. So they, they have broken speech. Brokers has broken speech. They just can't get their words out. But uh, Wanda was able to follow three-stage commands with no issues. So just to compare that with the MCA stem syndrome we just um, talked about, which in, involves the subcortex and the cortex, how's that different, Scott? So it's further along the track. So there's no impairment of alertness that you might have with some basal ganglia involvement, and um, it's leg sparing, so it's arms and face. Yeah, exactly. All right, so Wanda had a superior division syndrome. So remember, M2 goes into superior and inferior division. Obviously, you can get inferior division syndromes as well, but they're much rarer, actually. The main differences are that they cause a Wernicke's rather than a Broca's. So I had to hear this so many times in med school to remember. What's, so what's a Wernicke's? We learned this Beck? in med school. <laughs> uh, so Wernicke's aphasia is, is that word salad kind of thing. So this is receptive aphasia. Yeah. Um, they say a lot of things, and sometimes if it's mild, sometimes you're talking to them and you think that it's you who's got the problem with understanding them, and you realise <laughs> yeah. they're just not making any sense at all. Yeah. Broca's aphasia is can't find the words. So productive aphasia. Yeah. And so that this that's the other confusing thing about this. There's like four or five different terms for the exact same phenomenon. Damn doctors. Um, but it makes sense that Wernicke's would be associated with inferior because... Wernicke's is around the temporal lobe, around mm. the ears, right? Because you're receiving it. Um, and the inferior syndrome kind of dips down into the temporal lobe rather than up into the parietal lobe. And then remember, using that flipping principle, if you've lost the inferior branch of your left MCA, where would the quadratinopia be, Scott? So it would be a superior quadratinopia because you flipped it. Superior right, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. All right, um, so the other thing I wanted to mention while we're talking about uh, MCA strokes, you can obviously get clots going even further down. They don't necessarily stop in M2. You can have M3 and M4 clots. And a lot of the time, those don't matter too much, like they just have a bit of sensation change or something. But there's a few pinpoint cortical strokes you can get that can be quite disabling. Um, and it's important to be able to recognize them. And then in those cases, you just get like a small part of these syndromes we've spoken about. So you could just get a pure motor deficit uh, limited to the face and arms. You might get a pure broker's dysphasia. Or a really common one is something called a cortical hand, where just their hand is affected rather than the rest of their upper limb. And people think it's some kind of peripheral nerve syndrome, but then doesn't fit with anything, doesn't fit with any root. And then eventually it clicks, oh, it could be a cortical hand. Mm. So it's a weak hand. Yeah, yeah, weak hand. Mm. The, yeah, the expression is cortical hand. Just briefly, this isn't very important, but it's a really interesting um, one and kind of demonstrates um, what Broca's and Wernicke's areas do. But there is um, one of these little stroke syndromes that cause something called a conduction aphasia. So they have perfectly intact uh, expressive um, capacity, so they can talk fine. Broca's is fine, and they have perfectly intact Wernicke's area, so they can understand and follow instructions. But the tract between Broca's and Wernicke's is affected, so they can't repeat. What mm. they can't do is they can't hear the words, 
and then repeat it immediately back because that track um, between the two is affected. But that's that's just a bit of neurology trivia that everyone loves. Double Australian Everyone. Part of the way that's here assembled. <laughs> <laughs> just loving it. All right. So we've covered M1, M2. I wonder what could be next. Who's Miroslav? Miroslav. So Miroslav is a 60-year-old guy who's brought in because of difficulty walking, urinary incontinence and confusion. Unfortunately, a code stroke isn't called, uh, but as a switched-on ED resident who's a big Med Conversations fan knows, time course is king. Time course is the most important, and as she's taking the history, that's the first thing she elicits, and she figures out that this was actually a completely sudden onset two hours ago. Uh, she knows time is brain and calls a code stroke. Um, while she's waiting for um, the code stroke team to arrive, um, she notes that ac- she actually has an isolated right lower limb weakness. And um, she also notes that Miroslav doesn't actually seem confused. He's able to follow instructions pretty well, but he's just having difficulty expressing himself. Um, and it, the other thing she notes, it's kind of weird, right? Like he's, he can't talk, but he also doesn't seem too fussed by it. He's not frustrated like most people with broker's dysphasia are. So what could this be? Well, uh, I know obviously we're doing a podcast about strokes, but just looking at that triad, yeah. um, does that triad remind you of anything else as well? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, it looks like Wet. normal pressure hydrocephalus. Wet, wacky, wobbly, yeah. Mm. Mm. It does, yeah. So the key here is the time course. Because that, that could be normal pressure hydrocephalus, except mm. you don't. You don't go zero to a hundred with that disease. It's gradually progressive. Or to zero is the case. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is he? What is poor old Miroslav got? So he's got an anterior cerebral artery stroke. Yeah. So take it back a step. So the anterior cerebral artery comes off the internal carotid artery, mm-hmm. and it supplies most of the frontal lobe. Um, as well as the corpus callosum, um, as well as, and as well as some parts of the basal ganglia. But the main thing is that it supplies a lot of the frontal lobe. And it's important to note, as common as it is in MCQs, it's actually really rare to see in clinical practice. I think I've seen two in my life. I think if you remember that little homunculus that they've kind of put over the motor cortex, mm. the important thing here is the legs are kind of um, very medially over that part, and that's mm. also the part that the ACA is supplying. Mm. So that's why in an ACA stroke, you're getting the leg weakness dominant rather than the arms. Yep. Mm. We should make sure we put that up. Yeah. For you to have a look at. I love the homunculus. I'd love like a little homunculus figure. (laughs) Cool. Hint, hint. Um, Anyway, so ACA stroke, the syndrome, um, take me through that Beck. Okay, so the the key one that I used to remember as a medical student, just for word association, was if there's a sensory motor deficit of the lower limb greater than of the upper limb, I just circled C and it was ACA stroke. Yeah. So leg is affected more than arm. It's still contralateral. So if you have a left ACA, it will be your right leg that is weak with decreased sensation. Urinary incontinence, as with Miroslav, is quite common. And some of those other frontal things as well, like a lack of spontaneity, um, strange strange behaviour, abulia, which is um, a lack of motivation or willpower. So that, that explains why this patient didn't really care that any of this was going on. Mm. Um, and if it's, so it's a left-sided ACA stroke, you get 
uh, Broca's um, expressive dysphasia. Yeah. And you also get this, like, really, this is another really good piece of neurology trivia that everyone loves. Um, you can also get something called alien hand syndrome mm. or sympathetic apraxia, um, which is this super weird thing where people feel like one of their arms is just not under their control at all. And it's just often space doing its own thing. Mm. Like often quite purposeful movements. Um, and there's actually been some cases where people have woken up in the middle of the night with their alien hand like... Strangling <laughs> 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 Yeah. Oh my God. It's pretty scary, isn't it? So just, just to go back to the Ebuli, I remember this was really nicely demonstrated to me once where we had the interventionist come in and he was trying to tell this patient how lucky he was that his ACA stroke wasn't worse, that he was in such a great centre that this other interventionist had done this amazing procedure and it just wasn't registering. The guy was just like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, I mean, he couldn't walk anymore. But... <laughs> Should have yeah, appreciated the stand. Great stroke centre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention with ACA stroke, going back to that principle that sometimes it's better to have a more proximal block off, that applies um, in the anterior cerebral artery as well. If you've got an A1 stroke, so very early on, that's usually okay because your collateral will save the day and you're asymptomatic. It's when it's further along A2, that's when you get a lot of these symptoms that we've been talking about. I suppose that's probably why it's also a relatively rare stroke. Mm. All right, on to Mandy. So Mandy is a 70-year-old lady. She presents with sudden onset severe weakness down her left side. Um, She's seen all the fast campaigns in the community. She's worried about a stroke, so immediately presents to ED. But it's just weakness. Um, so a code stroke is called, she's rushed to the scanner on the way, we do a neuro exam and like there's really nothing else to find, just weakness. Everyone looks at the CT plain brain, so without contrast looking for that hyperdense artery, we talked about nothing. We do the CT angiogram looking for that filling defect, nothing. We do a CT perfusion, which is uh, another test we'll talk about in a later podcast, to see a perfusion defect, Nothing. So there's nothing on imaging at all to suggest a stroke. But here's this lady who can barely move. Functional. Arm and leg. Yeah, that's why people are milling around confused, you know, complaining that the whole team's being called down. What a waste of time. Probably a migraine, probably confusion. But you, as a neurology registrar, are worried that these are diagnoses of exclusion and shouldn't be made lightly. And this is a 70-year-old woman with some vascular risk factors, no previous migraine, no previous functional stuff. Surely it's organic. You call the consultant and he says, thrombolize it. If you think it's a stroke, even if you can't see it on the CT, thrombolize it. And you've indicated a few days later, she's gotten a lot better and she has an MRI which shows she did indeed have a stroke. Where? Mm. So this sounds like a lacuna stroke. Mm. They're often not found on imaging. Yeah, exactly. Or not on a CT brain anyway. Mm. And it's just motor. Quite purely motor, you could say. Yeah. So what's a lacuna stroke? So a lacuna stroke comes from the lacoons that the famous neurologist Miller Fisher um, observed when he was cutting up a lot of brains. He found that there was just these empty spaces, these little lacoons um, on his autopsies. And the pathophysiology is that all all those subcortical areas that we talked about, the M1 going through, um, they're fed by little penetrating arteries that come off the M1 and sometimes those penetrating arteries um, are themselves damaged Um, and if they're in particularly dense places really disastrous 
And so the, the five classic syndromes that you get, they, you can get lots of different things, but there's five classic syndromes of penetrating arteries causing a lot of neurological deficit. So take me through, Scott. Yeah, so the five lacuna stroke syndromes, the classic ones, are pure motor stroke, which is the posterior limb of the internal capsule. Yeah. Ataxic hemiparesis, so it's a combination of motor and cerebellar symptoms on one side. So that's affecting the internal capsule, the basilar part of the pons, and the corona radiata. Don't worry too much about those specific um, little bits of neuroanatomy, but ataxic hemiparesis is the main thing to remember. So dysarthria slash clumsy hand. Yeah, so dysarthria clumsy hand syndrome, um, which is a really strange um, stroke syndrome, but literally that's what they get. They can't talk, and then they just... The hand's not actually weak, it's just clumsy on one side. Um, and that's... Again, don't worry too much about this, but basilar part of the pons and anterior limb of the internal capsule. What's next, Beck? So we said pure motor, so the other one's going to be pure sensory, which is usually thalamus, mm-hmm. or it is thalamic. And then the last one? Bit of a combo deal, sensory motor, so thalamus and the internal capsule are wiped out. Yeah, so just to go through it one more time, the five classic lacuna syndromes, pure motor, which is the most common, ataxic hemiparesis, dysarthria clumsy hand syndrome, pure sensory stroke, and sensory motor stroke. All right, so this is again based on a real case. Um, We're talking about Beverly. She's a 45-year-old lady um, who presents with difficulty walking, and then subsequently sensation change on a background of a severe dilated cardiomyopathy. She has a code stroke when she comes to ED, and she has another code stroke later during her stay, but both times the stroke team say it's not a stroke. It's probably a migraine. It's just progressive symptoms. It's very unusual for a stroke to do that, which is true. Usually it's bang, everything on at once. And then for some reason she ends up under cardiology because of a dilated cardiomyopathy, even though that's pretty stable. Um, the cardio region notices that she has some difficulty doing the finger-nose test on one side, but uh, it's been two code strokes, probably functional. And then two days later, she ends up on GenMed because no one really knows what's wrong with her, and that's what happens. Then as the general medical registrar, you walk in, and you immediately notice that one of her eyes is toased. So you've probably strutted in, I think, at this stage. Usually. That's how most general medical registrars walk around. You've got one of those, like a little stick. You're walking like Dr. House, (laughs) swearing at people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So toast, which means um, drippy. One of the eyes is drippy, like, oh, that's weird. I'm doing my clinical exams. If there's a unilateral ptosis, the next thing I look at is the pupil. And the pupil is small on that side. You're like, oh, this sounds real. This isn't functional. This sounds like something eponymous. (laughs) You go through the story again. Turns out the sensation change was on the right side of her face, um, as well as the left side of the body. So crossing sides. And the clumsiness is on the right side. And just recently, she's reported um, that she's noticed that she's having some difficulty swallowing. Mm. What stroke syndrome does she have and why are the symptoms progressive? That's weird for a stroke to be progressive like that. Okay, so you've given us a bit of information. So I think maybe if we just quickly recap what this lady's symptoms are and signs. So she's got ptosis and a constricted pupil on one side. So that's what's that, what's that called? It sounds like corner syndrome. Mm. She's got sensation change on the right side of her face and left side of her body, which is unusual. So where's the one part of the body where some of the fibres have crossed and others haven't? Brainstem. Brainstem, yeah. So, so it's in the brainstem. So we're in the brainstem now. 
the clumsiness is on the right side. That's the same side as the facial sensation mm. change. Mm. And she's got difficulty swallowing, which sounds a bit like a bulbar sign. Yeah, so if, if it so if it's in the brainstem, you know it's the lower part of the brainstem because that's where the bulbar cranial nerves are. So what she has is lateral medullary syndrome and it's progressive because she has a vertebral artery dissection on the right side and that's affected her posterior inferior cerebellar artery or her pica. We'll take it back a step um, to try and understand where this strange cluster of symptoms come from. It's quite a specific syndrome. So we're going to talk about the rule of fours for a second and that's it's going to be very overwhelming to hear for the first time on this podcast so I encourage you to try and read about it. It's a really great set of neuroanatomical principles made up by the um, the Bowen Health uh, con- Neurology Consultant, Peter Gates. But we'll do our best to try and explain it to you. It's just basically an amazing mnemonic. And yeah. get this up in front of you. We'll put the link up on the podcast um, website yeah. and we will walk you through this incredible mnemonic. <laughs> so the first rule of four is that there's four cranial nerves in the medulla, four in the pons, and four in the midbrain. And then there's the... F- then you divide the... And that's just in order. So 1, 2, 3, 4, yep. 5, yeah. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Well, actually, the first two, 1 and 2, are in the um, are not in the midbrain, actually. They're sort of north of there. Yeah. So midbrain is 1, 2, 3, 4, roughly. Pons is 5, 6, 7, 8. Medulla is 9, 10, 11, 12. It's not perfect, but roughly that's a pretty good rule. And then I wouldn't be doing neurosurgery based on that, but <laughs> as a physician, that's that's what you need to know. Um, and then you've got the then you divide the brainstem into a medial component and a lateral component. And the medial component has the four M's. So the pathway is running through there. There's the motor pathway, so that's the corticospinal tract. The motor nuclei, so that's the nuclei from the cranial, the motor cranial nerve. So that's three, four, six, and twelve. Um, then you've got the medial lemniscus, which is the brainstem part of the dorsal column. So that supplies what? what are um, the dorsal columns. So the the dorsal column looks at vibration and proprioception. Yeah. So neurologists do this really stupid thing where like every Posterior column. every part of the brain that the same track goes through changes names. It's like those annoying streets where. You, <laughs> where they just have, they're the same thing but they're called something different and sometimes a little bit similar like high street turning into high street road yeah exactly um, and then the last M is the medial longitudinal fasciculus so we don't have time to explain this here but that's called the MLF and that causes internuclear ophthalmoplegia that's a topic for another day so that's the medial part of the brainstem and then you go to the lateral part of the brainstem you got the four S's so you've got the spinothalamic tract so that looks after pain and temperature in your arms and legs. You've got the sensory nucleus of the cranial nerve 5, so again, pain and temperature um, on the on the face. You've got the spinocerebellar tracts, which um, looks after how you're walking and whether you've got vertigo or not. And then finally, the final S is the sympathetic tract, so that gives you Horner syndrome. Mm-hmm. All right, so that, sorry, it's a lot to take in, but if we apply those principles to lateral medullary syndrome, so if you're in the medulla, um, and you're the lateral part of the medulla, what is being affected? So go back to the four S's. So I think of... So we said four M's are medial, four S's are lateral. Mm. I just think S is side. 
Yeah, so that's a good spin- way to put it. Spinothalamic, yeah. sensory nucleus of the cranial of the fifth cranial nerve, spinocerebellar, and sympathetic. So how will that present in lateral medullary syndrome? So spinothalamic tract. If it's a left lateral medullary syndrome, the fibers have already crossed. Remember, the spinothalamic crosses at the spinal level. So if it's left lateral medullary, that means you've got right-sided pain and temperature loss in your arms and legs. And then the sensory nucleus of the cranial nerve fire, that's ipsilateral. So left lateral medullary will give you left-sided um, loss of pain and temperature. So that's where you get that cross, that, that really distinctive crossing sensory changes. And then left lateral medullary will give you left-sided spinocerebellar signs. So that finger nose will be difficult on the left side, and they'll also have vertigo. And then finally... Left lateral medullary will give you left-sided sympathetic problems. So they'll have a left-sided horny syndrome. So the ptosis and the, and the small pupil. And then the, the final application of the rule of four is, um, that's the bottom four nuclei. So 19, 11, 12. So they're the bulbar cranial nerve. So they've got difficulty swallowing and dysarthria. So that's uh, lateral medullary syndrome. Nice and easy. Only you have to listen to that once ever and you'll understand it perfectly forever. If so you... if, if you're a medical student and you understood all that without feeling slightly intimidated, I think you need to go out and have some more fun. <laughs> it's a bit disappointing. <laughs> all right. Yeah, no, that, that, that is really hard. It took me a long time to understand those principles. So well done if you get that. All right. So let's uh, move on to the next artery with the story of Ben. Ben's a 25-year-old guy. He loves Game of Thrones. He's sitting at home watching it. All of a sudden, he drops his conscious state. When he arrives in ED, his girlfriend is interrogated regarding which drugs he's been using, not whether he's been using drugs, which ones. We know he's been using drugs. He's 25. Obviously, he's using drugs. Yeah, that's a, that's a given, especially a 25-year-old with a GCS of three. He didn't know the answer to the last question about the <laughs> syndrome. Yeah. Well done, Ben. Um, so you're the ED registrar, you're sitting there very confident that they're lying, um, and then you look at the pupils and they're pinpointing, like, of course. It's, it's bilateral her- horners. <laughs> it's not bilateral horners. No, it's heroin. But then you keep looking for a few seconds, you notice they're moving in weird ways. There's a bit of an nystagmus here and there, and like, what drug does that? And then for one second, you allow yourself to consider that it might not be a drug, and you remember. Crap, this is a stroke syndrome. What are you thinking about? So you're thinking back to that time you listened to a Med Conversations episode and they got to the part about basilar artery strokes. Yeah. So remember we talked about the anatomy early on. Where does the basilar artery sit, Scott? So it's it's the only artery that doesn't have a... In the supplying the brain, it doesn't have a left and a right. Yeah, yeah. So the two vertebrals go together and make the one basilar. So if you knock out that basilar, both hemispheres are affected, and that's why conscious state is so often affected in the basilar artery stroke. And just to flash some kind of um, MCQ words at you, you're thinking when you hear about locked-in syndrome, that's the basilar artery. Mm. You've probably heard about it before. Yeah, it was that famous uh, French movie. Uh, was it, was it the, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Mm. Yeah. And he rec- recorded a book, no, wrote a book just with yeah. this. Just so look, I've got some important numbers here. So this <laughs> French journalist had a basilar artery stroke, so he could only move his left eye. Oh, his left eye. That's yeah. rough. Yeah. So he had someone present to him pictures of letters, and he blinked when it was the letter he wanted. 
and he did that for eight months, four hours a day. Mm. And um, yeah, he typed out this book of 200,000 words. So, <laughs> incredible. There you go. That's okay. the pointless fact to remember instead so of all the useful stuff. he did not have a bullier. No, he no. cared very much. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of motivation to do that. He had a lot no, of motivation. No, okay. yeah. That's good. Sorry, just trying to link back. It's an important no, teaching good. principle. Has yeah. a lot, obviously, he hadn't lost his frontal lobe. Um, all right, so let's talk about the, your, your full hand of basal stroke symptoms. So you've got your altered conscious state like Ben, um, and then you get weakness. So you get um, weakness in both arms and both legs. Classically, you just have this complete quadriplegia, but um, in real life, it's usually asymmetrical, but bilateral. So, hence the one eye. I mm, guess that's in probably this one, yeah. So, what you often get is they'll be very weak on one side and maybe just some increased reflexes on the other side. The other thing they get with their movements is lots of like extra movements, lots of moving of the arms and legs, um, lots of tremors, lots of shaking, and uh, it's often misdiagnosed as uh, seizures for that reason. So, sensation is there a lot of sensation stuff? It's usually not particularly prominent. It's mostly about the motor changes. Yeah, exactly. And then maybe get some paresthesias. Um, and then the one that really tipped us off for Ben was um, the ocular motor symptoms and signs. And they're very variable. So lots of different things. You can get nystagmus. Um, you can get vertical nystagmus. You can get horizontal nystagmus. You can get contraction nystagmus where the whole eye is beating in and out of the eyeball, which is pretty weird seen that once wow you can google it on youtube <laughs> yeah. as well if you want to see it literal googly eyes yeah <laughs> no, i'm very patient sensitive i think you <laughs> be sensitive to the patient experience um i wonder if we should delete that or keep and so lots of ocular motor symptoms and signs. Um, you know, they might have gaze restriction in all directions, like this poor guy in the, in the butterfly, um, or just on one side. Basically, weird eye signs. So what this ED registrar did a really good, um, really good job here. He noticed the altered conscious state plus weird eye signs. You've got to exclude Basler if you see those two things, basically. Other things that they get as well. Um, so they get bulbar symptoms, um, so that's because they've lost the medulla, the lower four cranial nerves, and they difficulty swallowing. Um, they get these weird emotional ability where they have like, these laughing and crying spells as well. Like most basic physician trainings around this time of year. <laughs> so we'll move on to the last stroke syndrome we're going to talk about today. So this man, Donald... He's a 70-year-old man. Could have already picked that just from the name, really. Yeah, mm. just had to reinforce his um, gender. It's not very important, but I have to fill in some time. No, so, the age. The like age. Donald is clearly 70. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> so we've confirmed his demographics, as unrelated as they are to the case. But he's got a sudden onset sensation change on his left side. And the neurology consultant on examination finds he has a hemianopia. Um the consultant then asked him to write down how he's feeling and then he asked him to read the CT scanner safety instructions written on the wall. It's a pretty weird jump yeah. of neurology exam sequence. Sherlock Holmesy mm. going on there. And weirdly, the patient has no issues with writing that he's scared and confused appropriately, but can't read a single word off the large print safety instructions. So, Davo, why did he suddenly jump to this very specific 
and detective kind of test there. So he's a good consultant, and he immediately recognised the virtually diagnostic combination of hemianopia and hemisensory loss, which almost always is a posterior cerebral artery stroke. Hmm. <clears throat> Um, so in terms so of having made the diagnosis, decided he didn't need a scan and thought he'd just play some games with the patient. <laughs> and then the other thing you'll also get with PCA stroke is alexia without agraphia. Mm-hmm. So they can write fine, but they can't read, which is really weird. So to go back to the visual loss, so it's usually hemianopia. And like all strokes, left PCA will give you right-sided hemianopia. It's a bit different um, to the other ones because there's a region of macula sparing. So around the center... It's relatively intact on both sides. It can also be a quadratinopia as well. And then in terms of the sen- sensation changes, that's because it's uh, affecting the thalamus. Mm, I think that's a really <clears> important <throat> thing to remember, that thalamic strokes, if you just think of that as always being sensory change. Yeah, that's true to a degree, but also the thalamus is just weird. Like I've had a lot of neurologists in neurology who registrars tell me, like, I don't understand the thalamus. It's like a black box have a stroke there and like anything can happen <laughs> if you're a medical student thalamus is sensory there's no black box <laughs> <laughs> mcq land everything makes perfect sense <laughs> thalamus equals sensation okay and then so additionally to the hemianopia plus hemisensory loss they get alexia without agraphia as we said and also anomic aphasia so they can't name objects around the room um and then that's if it's left-sided but then if it's um right-sided they get something called prosopanosia so this is again for your neurology trivia night that i'm sure your guys will go to um that's when you have difficulty recognizing faces prosopanosia okay so that's our last stroke syndrome that was pca stroke well done if you've got three forty-five <laughs> minutes of me droning on about different <laughs> areas of which weird syndrome i'm just trying get. to work out what kind of stroke i have this is like when i watch a movie and i can't tell the difference between the two main characters because they're both good looking men with brown hair <laughs> all right so let's just go through briefly what the list of um stroke syndromes um have so approximately just pick some of our favorites rather than reading everything out the, yeah. key, the key thing. Yeah. So I think you had to choose. I think it's kind of more. As a budding girl. <laughs> no, 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 I, don't, I don't mean favourite strokes. Can I don't have all of them? <laughs> 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 okay. No, so the proximal, proximal M1 is the worst kind of M1. And I think the, the key, when I said favourites, I'm sorry. The key the key things here are that, that differentiate it are impairment of alertness. So they'll drop their GCS, contralateral hemiplegia, and global aphasia if it's a left-sided lesion or neglect if it's a right-sided and some other stuff. So next we'll talk about, we talked about the superior division of the M2 syndrome. Um, That's of the MCA. So there's a dense sensory motor deficit in the contralateral face arm, but not affecting the leg as much. And you can also have an ipsilateral deviation of the head and eyes. And the other, other difference is that they don't drop their conscious state if it's M2. That's more just M1. Yeah, so further along, yeah. they're zone two away yeah. from the city. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, inferior branch is similar. Which is inferior division. Yeah, of M2. Of M2. That's right, MCA. Um, so that's similar, but it causes a Wernicke's dysphagia rather than a Broca's. Because Wernicke's is at the back because it's later in the alphabet. And it causes a superior quadratinopia because of the flipping of everything. An ACA stroke, anterior cerebral artery. 
key thing to remember is sensory motor deficit in the leg more than the arm. And then they get urinary incontinence, disorders of behaviour in particular, not appreciating how great a stenting job was done. It's a very common symptom. Um, and then uh, some broker's dysphagia as well. So the next set of strokes are the five classic lacuna stroke syndromes. So the ones we talked about were the pure motor strokes, um, the ataxic hemiparesis with a combination of motor and cerebellar symptoms on one side, the dysarthria, clumsy hand syndrome, the pure sensory stroke, and the sensory motor stroke. Then uh, Darvall rambled on a little bit about the lateral medullary syndrome, so the five components of that <laughs> were the vestibular cerebellar signs, sensory symptoms, Horner syndrome, weakness of bulbar muscles and respiratory function. And we really do recommend that you have a look at that um, uh, article that we've linked to you with the rule of fours that talks about that. Mm. Basilar artery, this is the one from the diving bell and the butterfly, so Locked altered syndrome. conscious yep. state. And funny eye signs, basically. Funny eye signs, yeah. asymmetry, but bilaterality. Is the rule. Uh, and then hemianopia plus hemisensory loss is a vir- virtually diagnostic of a PCA, a posterior cerebral artery stroke. And classically, if it's left-sided, they get alexia without agraphica. They can write but not read. So the opposite of like an uneducated person, I suppose. alright I think that probably brings us to an end we're done if you got this far (laughs) thanks for listening so it's a bit intimidating but I think you know the more times you hear all these things it'll start to start to settle in check out our Facebook page and our website if you haven't already www.medconversations.com or just yeah look us up on Facebook give us a review on Facebook if you've gotten this far like you must You're probably like one us. of our greatest. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the bit where we ask you to leave a review. Cool. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye.